0: Hi, this is Eric Luty for the Daily Thunder Podcast. If you are enjoying these messages and want to take these truths even deeper, I invite you to join us in Windsor, Colorado at Ellerslie for one of our upcoming five-week or week-long discipleship training programs. Ellerslie's discipleship training has been designed to ignite your spiritual fire and to give you the tools for a Christianity that really works. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit
1: ellerslie.com. Well, Ephesians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, and again, we're walking through verses 14 down through the the end of the chapter, and what I'd like to do just this morning, just again, just to get it in our minds, is just to read that entire section and um, my guess is we may be reading through it every single time, but I uh, just want you to be focused and just be thinking through it and saturating in it and just be pondering it uh, as, as we're walking into, uh, walking into this study. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, uh, this is what Paul writes. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, Look back at verse 14, uh, which is what we're focusing again on this morning. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, in the last study, we were looking at that very beginning phrase, for this reason, and we walked back and kind of gave a broad overview of Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, and basically saying that what Paul is heading into for this particular prayer is all based upon what he's been doing in these first three chapters of this marvelous book. <clears throat> he continues from that point, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning, and he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Why didn't Paul just say, I'm praying? Why didn't Paul just say, I'm, I'm praying to the Father? Why does he use the phrase, I bow my knees before the Father? Uh, it's interesting, the first time I studied through Ephesians, and again, I'm, I'm wa- walking back through all this stuff. Uh, For whatever reason, I skipped it. (laughs) I was like, he's praying. And I just got into the prayer because that seemed more interesting. But as I was just looking at this afresh, I was like, why why does he put that phrase? You realize everything in Scripture is there for a reason. That there's not a, you know what, let's just add that in. Which means even those pages that you tend to skip in your reading, You know what I'm talking about. This is the so-and-so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so, who 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 begot begot so-and-so. You know, page after page after page. And I know how most of you read. You just go, okay, oh, there we are. And, you know, we continue. Do you realize even those things are significant in Scripture? So don't just skip over them. So why, why would Paul write, I bow my knees, Before the Father. In other words, does how we pray actually matter? Isn't that an interesting thought? In other words, you know, if you sit versus standing versus kneeling, is one of those more spiritual? Well, we just started this thing by praying. I was standing, you were sitting. So, hmm... Maybe one of us was more spiritual. (laughs) Some of you are like, which one is it? (laughs) Here's going to be a good question to ask. What is your posture in prayer? Uh, Coming to scripture, it's interesting that when, when you look at this idea of posture in prayer, there are a lot of biblical options. Let me just give some to you. I found these quite delightful. So here's here some potential options for you uh, in terms of a posture uh, for prayer. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.8 says that we are to pray with uplifted hands. So here's what it says, therefore I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. It's oh, a good one, but I haven't seen anybody guys lift up holy hands. So so here's another one. Uh, this is what I was doing this morning. Uh, Luke 18, eleven, and verse 13 is the idea of standing. So in, in this case, Jesus is talking about this Pharisee, and he said the Pharisee stood and was praying this to him, and he said this to himself: "God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Don't pray this part. Uh, Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector." And then in verse 13 it says, "And the tax collector standing." Some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." So there's another option for you. Standing. Uh, Here's one: Mark 6:41, which is this idea of lifting your eyes up to heaven. So in Mark 6:41, 41, Jesus, he takes the five loaves and the two fish, and it says, "Looking up to heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people." So there's another option. You can lift up your eyes. Uh, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, there's kneeling taking place. So it says uh, Daniel 6, 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered into his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he has been doing previously. Uh, 1 Kings 18.42 takes that idea of kneeling to an extreme. And maybe it's just kneeling, but this is how it's phrased. I was like, holy cow, this is hard. In 1 Kings 18.42, Elijah goes up onto the top of Mount Carmel, and it says that he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. So maybe he was just kneeling, but that seems extreme. Doesn't it? Seems like it would hurt, unless you're athletic. Uh, Ezekiel nine eight is this idea of falling face face down. So in Ezekiel it says, and they were striking the people, and I was, al- and I alone was left. I fell on my face and cried out, saying, "Alas, Lord God!" And he goes on with his prayer. So you have this picture of Ezekiel falling face down in an attitude of prayer. Uh, in 1 Kings 147, oh, this was good. In 1 Kings one forty seven, David, King David, uh, they, they just anointed Solomon as, as king, as his replacement. And it says, and the king, David, bowed himself on the bed. Oh, that's good. Uh, so whether he was like leaning over on the bed or whether he was on the bed and just went, Poof. either way, he was on his bed. Which is exciting because in Psalm 63, 6, that is a legitimate way to pray, is in bed. Oh, praise (laughs) the Lord. (laughs) Which may be my all-time favorite way to pray. Psalm 63, 6 says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. And by the way, I spend most of my time, maybe not, I shouldn't say it that way. I spend a lot of time praying in bed. Because that's always how I fall asleep. Because I figured, hey, why would I want to count sheep when I can talk to the shepherd? Some of you are like, oh, that was good. <laughs> I'm sure I didn't come up with it. Uh, yeah, so as I'm falling asleep at night, I'm just, I'm talking to Jesus. It's not intense prayer. In other words, if real intercession is, it is vigorous, it's intense, and it's really hard to fall asleep when you're in, in that kind of intensity. But it's just that sweet, like, hey, Jesus, I'm just talking to you and just having a good time, and just, eventually, I'm just like, hey, 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 poof. You know, and I don't think he's frustrated with that at all. I think he just laughs. You know, I have no proof of that, but but that's a legitimate way of praying biblically. I found it. Uh, Psalm sixty three 6. uh, 1 Thessalonians five seventeen says that we are to pray at all times, pray without ceasing, which obviously means then it can be in any posture. So, is there a proper posture for prayer? Uh, During Paul's time, it's interesting that the typical Jewish way of praying, I thought this was interesting. The the typical way of praying as a Jew was standing with hands outstretched, palms up toward heaven. And this is how they prayed. But does that make it more spiritual? Uh, If if you ever watch Jews today pray, for example, if you go go to the Holy Land, and you go to the, the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, and you see them praying, uh, they do what is often called shuckling, where, where they, they lean in and they, they bounce back and forth. Have you ever seen this? And uh, I was trying to figure out where that came from, and there's a whole bunch of different rumors. Uh, some said it's because back in the day, uh, in like the, the Middle Ages time, they would have one book to read from, and there'd be like 10 guys reading. And so someone would come up, they would lean down, they would read their portion, then they would get up, and they would move back, and the next guy would come over, and they would lean down. And say, so maybe that was just, maybe that's what started it. Uh, some say, uh, no, it's, it's really just to help with focus. And I'm like, well, now you're a distraction. But uh, but, but maybe, but maybe for, you know, if, if you're praying and, and you're focused and the idea of moving back and forth keeps you, keeps you engaged, you know, it's kind of like one of the reasons why a lot of us around here will pace back and forth. It's because it, it actually keeps you sharp. And so there's actually a, a greater vigor that you can have praying when you're, when, you're, when you're pacing for some people. Some of you are like, that's distracting. Uh, the other option for the whole shuckling thing, uh, I thought this was awesome. Uh, some say, well, it kind of come from Psalm 3510, where it speaks of all my bones will declare, and then it has this little prayer. And so maybe, like, maybe they're trying to get all their bones involved in the prayer. So the reason we move back and forth, or the reason we pace, is so that all of our bones are participating in the prayer itself. Just some options. Just some options. <clears throat> but is there a right or a correct posture for prayer? Uh, it is interesting as you come into the Book of Ephesians, and this, and this, I've thought this in one sense, but it really came out as I was looking at this idea of bowing your knees. But Paul often talks about this idea of posture. In the book, Uh, for example, over and over and over again in the first three chapters, he talks about sitting in Christ. That's a posture. Uh, As we we eventually get into chapters four and five, he's going to talk about walking, walk this way, that we're to walk in the Lord. And it's not a literal walking, but it's a metaphor for how you are to live. It's the way of life. Uh, In chapter six, he talks about standing against the works of the enemy. So he has these postures, and as I was reading through some scholars, I came across this great quote by Warren Wiersbe, and I I just want to read this to you because I think it ties in well with what Paul does with this idea of postures throughout his book, but also gets to the heart of what we're talking about in terms of the posture of prayer. So here's what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, you have noticed, no doubt, the emphasis on spiritual posture in Ephesians. When we trusted Christ, he raised us up from the dead and seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. Because we are seated with Christ, we can also walk as to please him, and we can stand against the devil. But the posture that links sitting, standing, and walking is bowing the knee. Isn't that a cool thought? That the thing that links the sitting, the walking, and the standing is the knee? He goes on and says, It is through prayer that we lay hold of God's riches that enable us to behave like Christians and battle like Christians. Whether we actually bow our knees is not the important thing. That we bow our hearts and our wills to the Lord and ask him for what we need is the vital matter. It's a great statement. So why then is there an emphasis? Why is Paul looking at this idea of bowing the knees? Again, if you were to actually press me and say, well, well, Nathan, is the posture of prayer important? I would say, yes, but not the physical. Because what is important is not the physical posture of prayer. What's important is the spiritual posture of prayer. And in other words, let's say, let's say you were captured uh, and you were being chained to a wall, right? And you're, and you're tied up to a wall. Does that, does that mean that you're praying from that position Is that insufficient for prayer? No. Uh, If you can kneel, then kneel. But what happens when you get old and you can't get up? Should you keep getting down on your knees? What if you have bad knees? So does that mean you can't pray? Can I stand to pray? Can I sit to pray? And I actually don't think the physical posture matters because it's really the spiritual posture. Does that make sense? So why then would Paul put this phrase here? Is he just saying, you know what, I bow, I bow, on, the, I bow on my knees once in a while. Uh, the word there, bow, uh, the Greek word is kampto. Uh, the word bow only shows up four times in the New Testament. And the idea of bow in the New Testament obviously means to bend. It has this idea to, to bow. But it's also associated with the idea of worship, which I thought was interesting. The word knee shows up 16 times in the New Testament. And it is really intriguing that every time the word knee shows up, it's always in a posture of humility. It's always in a posture of bowing down or of worship or of honor or of submission or making a request. And that's how that word is always used. In other words, it doesn't just talk about someone's knee. It it talks about this idea of petition or request or a need or that kind of thing in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it shows up in a few other random times. But in the New Testament, it's always correlated with this idea of reverence and worship and humility and that kind of thing. Uh, In fact, it's really interesting that though the typical posture in Paul's day was to stand arms outstretched, palms up in prayer, there is so many times in Scripture where this idea of kneeling in prayer shows up. Uh, For example, let me just give you a few of them. In Luke 22, Jesus bows his knees in prayer at Gethsemane. So the word knees shows up there. Acts seven, uh, Acts seven sixty, Stephen falls to his knees in intercession right before he's stoned. Uh, Peter kneels to pray for the life of Tabitha, right the girl that he was he brought back to life. Uh, in Acts twenty, Paul kneels and prays with the elders of Ephesus. Acts twenty one, Paul and the disciples of Tyre kneel and pray before Paul leaves them. Uh, In Philippians 2.10 and Romans 14.11, it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there is this idea that when there's kneeling taking place, that there there is a prayer thing going on. So all that being said, I want to give you, and this is going to sound like a crazy number, I want to give you seven emphases of bowing the knee. And I try to shorten it because, you know, a good preacher only has three things. And there is something about memory where it's really important because usually once you get past three, it's hard to hold things, which is why we have like the three, three uh, Goldilocks and the three bears, the three little pigs, you know, like, you know, we have these three stories and it's because you can hold three for whatever reason you can't hold seven. <laughs> but I'm going to give you seven because as I look at this idea of bowing your knee, there seems to be that there's these different nuances to it, especially in, the, in relationship to prayer. So when Paul says, "I bow my knees before the Father," what is the emphasis of that? Like, Why, why is that significant in the passage? And we'll go through them really quick, theoretically. Uh, number one is this idea of humility. <clears throat> when you bow your knee, it is done in humility. In fact, the Greek word for humility actually is this idea of to see or to judge yourself not far from the ground. So even the word humility itself has this idea of stooping. It has this idea of bending. It has this idea of getting low to the ground. It's, it's that idea. Uh, 1 Peter 5.5 5 <clears throat> says, All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. By the way, the word there for resist literally means to keep at arm's length. Uh, the word in the Greek actually means to set an army against So when you walk in pride, do you know what God is going to do to you? He's going to keep you at arm's length, and he's going to set his armies against you. Uh, That's not good. You do realize one angel came into the camp and killed over 100,000 people, right? Remember this story about the lepers, and they go out and get in the treasure and all this kind of stuff? I mean, that's just one. There was one death angel come into the land of Egypt and just killed all the firstborn during the time of the exodus. So could you imagine if I walk in pride, God says, I'm, I have to set my army against that. That's intimidating, folks, which is one of the reasons you should be delighted to humble yourselves and see yourself low to the ground. And, and by the way, just, just for reminder's sake, C.S. Lewis, Lewis says that humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's no, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And there's this, we're not talking about, oh, I'm a horrible person. I'm no good. I'm, I'm just, ugh. it's just stop thinking about yourself. Put your mind on something better, like Jesus. So one of the, one of the emphasis, it seems to be that when I get down on my knees, it is a sign of, of humility. Lord, you are worthy. I am not. Another emphasis, which is somewhat tied into the other one, is this idea of submission and Loyalty. Uh, If I was to go before the Queen of England, if she'd ever invite me for tea, then proper etiquette would state that as I came into her throne room, I would bow. Why do you bow before royalty? It's because it's a sign of saying you are actually in a position higher than I am, and I am stooping and submitting to your authority. So do you realize that if you were to bow your knees in prayer, it is a sign of submission, but it's also a sign of, hey, I'm coming under your authority, and I'm giving you my loyalty. Uh, That idea is really strong in the Scriptures, actually. Uh, You go all the way back to the the book of Exodus, and in Exodus chapter 23, verse 24, God is giving the commands to the Israelites, and, and listen to what God says about bowing the knee. Because this is more than just a a physical thing. This is all about loyalty. Uh, This is all about position. Uh, This is all about submission. Exodus 23, 24 says, You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. God says, hey, when you go into the promised land, and you go into this land that are, that are worshiping all these different gods. Do not bend your knee to them. Well, what is he talking about? Don't give them loyalty. Do not submit yourself to them. In fact, this comes out even stronger that during the time of Elijah, you know the story. He does a Mount Carmel thing and then he runs for his life. And, and as he's running for his life, he says, God, I, am I the only one who is standing for truth in this generation? And God speaks back in First Kings 19, 18, and God looks at Elijah and says, Elijah, I have 7,000 in Israel, this remnant, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. That, 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 hey, there are still people who have not bowed to these false gods. Don't you think that's really significant in light of the temptations of Jesus And Satan says, hey, look, I will give you everything that you're wanting. Hey, Jesus, you're here. You have this purpose and plan. What's your plan? To win the world. I have it in my grasp, and it is in my authority, and I will give it to you. All you've got to do is bow your knee. Now, you could read that and go, that's not that hard. It's just a physical thing. Just go, and you're done. But see, there's this whole idea of submission to that. There's this whole idea of giving loyalty in that posture of bending your knee. And do you realize that we, even in this generation, are called not to bow our knees to the gods of this earth? And yet, when you look at the church today, just like the Israelites of days gone past, you realize that one of the key things that the prophets were constantly telling Israel was to repent. Why? Idolatry and adultery that they profane themselves with the world around them. Now, we don't have gods in the typical sense like, okay, you may not have like a Buddhist statue at your house. Praise the Lord. But some of us, you know, hey, we'll, we'll go to this big box that's sitting on our shelf, and we'll turn it on, and we'll binge 30 hours of some show. It could even be a good show. Like Anna Green Gables. <laughs> you know, there's a new series out, you know. So, hey, well, I'm going to get caught up. I'm going to watch all three seasons. And, and, and I binge. Do you know what that's called? It's called worship. That, that I'm giving my loyalty. Is it wrong to watch Anna Green Gables? Hopefully not. Because I do like Anna Green Gables. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that publicly. But I, I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway... I love that at Green Gables. Uh, so is it wrong to watch? No, but there's a, there's a difference between, do you see what I'm saying? That, that, yeah, a lot of us have given ourselves over to a God called success. Uh, we have devoted ourselves to the God of finance. And so though they do not look like the gods of yesteryear, do you realize that we still have the same susceptibility to bow our knees to the things of this world? So wouldn't it be interesting if this, physical posture of bowing my knees in prayer is a good reminder that I'm not to bow my knees to anything else but God. So there's that idea then associated with this idea of bowing bowing the knee that is tied in this idea of submission and and loyalty and uh, coming under the authority of. Uh, Number three is this idea of honor or respect. Uh, In other words, there's this idea of reverence associated with it. That again, if I, if I approach a king, I, I would come and I would bow. Why? Because I'm showing honor. I'm showing respect. Uh, in some cultures today, instead of, a, you know, instead of a handshake, you bow. Why is that? It's, it's showing deference. It's showing respect and honor to meeting somebody. So there, that's kind of a, a, tied into this idea of bowing the knee. Number four is this idea of weakness. Haven't you ever noticed that when some trouble hits your life, your knees tend to buckle? That when you get bad news or, or something horrible happens, it's like you become weak in the knees. And it's like you start to crumble. Which is why there are several times in the Bible, for example, Isaiah and Hebrews, that says strengthen the weak hands and, and, and the weak knees. That, that you're to firm up that which, is, that which becomes loose. Isn't it interesting, though, that if I bow my knees purposely, that it's a sign of weakness? that I'm actually declaring that I am weak. It's almost a sign of dependency that says, Lord, I am broken, I, I am helpless, and I need you. Which is true when we come to prayer, isn't it? Lord, Lord I don't have it within myself. I'm, I'm gonna need you. Lord, I'm, I'm just outside of you. I'm utterly helpless. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to you and asking for grace. I need a movement of you in my life. So here I am. I'm broken and contrite. Uh, Number five is this idea of worship. That when we bow, it is this idea of worship. In fact, this has just tickled me to death. The word in Hebrew that's translated worship, do you know what the word actually means? To bow down. So when you come across the word worship in the Old Testament, it just means to bow down. So let me read you this verse. This is awesome. Psalm 95, verse 6 or 8. Psalm 95 says this, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Did you hear that first part? Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our maker, And three times, there's this idea of stooping, getting low, bowing down. So come, let us worship, which means to bow down, and bow down. That's another word, but it just means to bow down and kneel. So obviously, we're not supposed to be very high in our our praise and our adoration of Jesus. Why? Because he's the one that's on high. Isn't Isn't that a fun thought? So let me just reread this to you. Come, let us bow down and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Isn't that awesome? That just tickled me. Obviously, I'm the only one, but that's okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, So again, there's this idea of worship in the bowing of the knees. Number six is this idea of an intensity of an emotion that, that a lot of the scholars, as I was looking this up, seem to suggest that when you bow in prayer, it gives this strength or this intensity in the emotion of praying. And of course, one great place you can see that is in the prayer of Jesus at Gethsemane. So in Luke 22, verse 41, it says that Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And so again, there's this intensity associated with the bowing uh, or getting on your knees. And then number seven is this idea of focus or intentionality. In other words, uh, yes, we're to pray without ceasing. And yes, we can pray all throughout the day. And there's a lot of times I'll be driving or I'll be walking around and I'm just just talking to Jesus all throughout my day. But there's something that happens when you kneel that it gives a force or a, a focus or an intentionality to that time of prayer. In other words, it's really hard to be kneeling in prayer and be doing something else. Like, I can't be making dinner, kneeling down and praying all at the same time. (laughs) It's really hard to be mowing the lawn, right? As I'm kneeling down and I'm praying. So it, it forces an intentionality and a focus in my praying. So take all of that, right? So let me just go through them again. Humility, submission, and loyalty, honor and reverence, weakness, worship, and intensity of emotion; focus, intentionality. When you look at all of that, it seems like this idea of what Paul is talking about, hey, I bowed my knees before the Father, he's getting at this idea that this is more than just some casual prayer that he is praying, that this is, there's an intentionality behind this. There's, an, there's a force behind this. And doesn't it make sense that if you were to bow your knees before Or to bow your knees in prayer, just to bow your knees, that that all those things are becoming associated with it. Let me say it this way Doesn't it make sense then in Scripture when it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? Why does every knee have to bow? Well, because it's a sign of humility, it's a sign of submission and loyalty, it's a sign of honor and respect. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of worship. It's a sign of intensity. It's, an enti- it's a sign of focus and intentionality. So when Isaiah 45 verse 23 says, the, the Lord says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth and in righteousness will not be turned back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Or Romans 14 verse 11 that says, for as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, which is quoting the Isaiah 45, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. Or, as Paul says in Philippians two ten, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and of those under the earth. Doesn't it make sense then that every knee has to bow because every single human being is going to have to show humility before the Lord. Every single human being is going to have to be submissive and show loyalty. That doesn't mean they make it to heaven. But they will have to admit, Lord, you're in charge. That, that, that they're gonna have to stoop in weakness. They're, have to, they're gonna have to worship. That they're gonna have they have to they're gonna have to walk in this intentionality. And there is gonna come a day where every single person on on this planet is gonna have to bow their knees to Jesus. Because he's worthy of it all. Isn't that a beautiful thought. It's not just, all right, you're going to force me to my knees? Fine, I'll get on my knees. I don't want to be here. No, even their mouths are going to have to proclaim something. And by the way, just, just as a notation, if you haven't picked up on this, it is far better to choose to do that now than be forced to do it later. That before the Lord, I should always be on my knees. Shouldn't I? In a, in a, in a spiritual posture. I'm just saying, Lord, you're worthy. I need you. You are so good. I love you. So it comes back to the question then. Do I need to bow in prayer? Do I need to get on my knees when I pray? Is it more spiritual for me to be on my knees? No. As long as I'm bowing spiritually. Uh, Isaiah 57, verse 15 says this. Uh, Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. And this is what he says. I dwell on a high and holy place. And also, so think about this. God dwells on a high and holy place. But then God says, I also dwell with the contrite and the lowly of spirit. In order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Do you know God dwells? He dwells in a high and lofty place. But he also dwells in the low place. To those who have a contrite heart. And so though it is not necessary for you to ever get on your knees to pray. Do you realize there is something powerful about the physical reminder of getting on your knees as a reminder of your spiritual posture? And not that you have to do it every single time, but could I just maybe encourage you to consider the idea once in a while of, of hey, when you come to God in prayer to get down on your knees, to get down on your face and just say, Lord, here I am. And I understand it's not the physical posture that allows you to hear me. It's, it's the heart posture but Lord, I am physically getting on my knees as a physical demonstration or as a physical reminder of the spiritual posture that I'm to have before you. Uh, I love reading about the great prayers of Christian history. Uh, There's not a lot of biographies written of the people who prayed. Haven't you ever noticed that? Like we have great missionary stories. Love great missionary stories. Uh, we, We have great preacher stories love great preachers, but we don't have a lot of books about the guys who prayed. And do you know why that is? It's because typically if, if God calls you to a position of prayer, it tends to be hidden. And so there has been tremendous men and women throughout Christian history who have altered the course of history that we don't know their names. Oh, one of our favorite books around here is uh, Reese Howell's Intercessor, and it's interesting as you look at Reese Howell's life. His his life was a powerful demonstration of prayer, <clears throat> and he started a prayer college, and it happened in the middle of World War II. And there are certain things that happen in World War II that only can be contributed to the fact that it seems like Reese Howell's and this band of little believers in England were praying, because you look at what they, in terms of their journals, what they were praying on a certain day and then what happened in human history, you're like that's not a coincidence. Because it happened way too many times. Like, like Hitler had this plan of going into this particular arena and this group heard, a, heard the fact that he's moving that direction and they said, Lord, we are, we are standing against that in the name of Jesus. We are going to pray. And they would pray and pray and pray for hours and hours and hours. And then Hitler for some reason would be like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go over here. That makes no sense outside of prayer. And so I I love looking up these stories of these great men and women who prayed. John Hyde. John Hyde was such a man of prayer that they called him Praying Hyde. Could you imagine getting to the point where they just nicknamed you Praying? Yeah, you're that guy that prays. You're that lady who just always prays. Could you imagine? And the stories that come out of John Hyde's life are absolutely incredible. He would spend days and weeks in prayer. I don't know how that works. I, don't I have no idea how that works. But he had such an intimacy with his God. But let me, let me just share, you one, share one story. And there's dozens of these we could walk through. You know, David Brainerd and Jonathan Edwards. and you, know, you just start going down through the list of some of these guys. And again, these are the ones we know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people we know who prayed that we don't know their names of. Uh, There's these accounts of preachers who would go and they says, hey, we had the men under the stage who prayed during the service. And these great revivals would break out. And they said it it happened only because of the fact that we had the men under the stage praying. Who were they? Yeah, we don't know. And I think there's going to be something special in heaven for those people. That we're going to meet them and we're like, oh, you're the one who changed human history. But there's this guy by the name of Edward Payson. Uh, Edward Payson was a preacher. In fact, they called him the camel need preacher. And it's interesting, Leonard Ravenhill, who is also an incredible man of prayer, uh, Leonard Ravenhill was writing about Edward Payson. And let me just corrects <laughs> just me up. Uh, not like a ha-ha, but this is just, it's this is so crazy to me. Uh, so just imagine this. This is what Leonard Ravenhill writes about Edward Payson. He says, Edward Payson, better known as Praying Payson of Portland, was another great prayer warrior. He used to kneel at the side of his bed and pray and pray and pray. When they washed his body for burial, they found great pads on his knees like a camel has. Tradition says that the Apostle James had camel knees, but it is a living fact that Payson had them. When they were washing him, someone said, what abnormal knees? They're heavy with calluses get this. That is because he used to pray at the side of his bed with energy. And he wore two grooves about six or seven inches long into that hardwood floor where he used to pray and make intercession. How's your prayer life? (laughs) Could you imagine getting down on your knees and praying with such vigor and such intensity for such a long period of time like over years and years and years that at your burial, they're like, he has weird knees. Then there's so much calluses on the knees because you spent so much time on them. And then they go up to your bedroom, and they're like, what on earth is next to his bed? And there's these grooves in your floor because of the intensity of your praying. Is there anything more spiritual about kneeling in prayer? No. But there is something special about kneeling in prayer. So take all of that and come into our verse. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 again. Paul is, is coming into his second prayer. It is interesting in the first prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 1, he says in verse uh, Ephesians, one, six, uh, Ephesians 1 verse 16, he says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And then he gives this short little prayer. But as you get into the chapter 3 prayer, <clears throat> Paul's like setting the entire stage, and he says, hey, look, for this reason, hey, everything I've been talking about, I am bowing my knees before the Father. This is not just some casual prayer that I'm praying for you. Hey, this isn't just some willy-nilly kind of a thing. This isn't just some random thing that I'm doing one day. Paul says, I, I am laboring on your behalf. And though I'm not currently with you in Ephesus, hey, I am, I am wrestling for you. Not just whenever, you know, just for that moment, you know, oh, oh, Lord, help those Ephesians, and then I go about my day, but there's an intentionality. I get down on my face, and I am, I am wrestling with the Lord on your behalf. So I'm going to reread verses 14 down to verse 21, and I want you to hear it through that perspective, through that kind of an intensity, and realize that though Paul is specifically praying this prayer for those who are in Ephesus, that the and it, it is a circuit letter. In other words, it was meant for the, the churches of Asia Minor, the, the churches of Turkey of that day. By extension, this does apply to you because he's writing to believers. And so I, I want you to hear this, this earnestness. I want you to hear this intensity in his prayer that is being prayed even for you. So again, look at this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would give you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. According to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a phenomenal prayer. And as we as we continue forward, and we're going to be looking at verse 15 next time. But as, as we're continuing forward and we're going to start working through this prayer, could, could you hear that through the lens of this aggressive intentionality? Would you, would you hear Paul's heart from the sense of this isn't just some casual prayer that he's just praying one day. This is, he is laboring. He, this is aggressive. This is, and this is the beat of his heart. And you realize that is what prayer is. That when you get right down to it, the prayer is the outward expression of the inward heart. That what bubbles forth out of your prayer life is what you actually feel on the deep down on the inside kind of stuff. I mean, sure, we can fake it and we can say what people want to hear. But when you're when hey, when you're really on your knees and when you're really before the Lord and no one's listening, what comes out of you is the depth of your heart. That's this kind of a prayer that Paul is praying. Can I ask you, how do you pray? Not so much the posture physically of how you pray. I stand, I sit, I kneel, I lay my bed, praise the Lord. I just, I lift my eyes to heaven. It's not that stuff. Because that stuff, actually, I don't think it actually matters. But what is the posture of your heart when you come before the Lord? When you come, is it just this, well, I'm checking off my list because, you know, God wants me to pray, and oh, I better pray before my meals, and... What about that praying without ceasing thing? As you're just talking to God throughout the day, do you, do you have this kind of intentionality? Do you have this kind of focus when you're praying before your meals? How, how, how do you pray? Do you have that spiritual posture of bowing your knees? And again, it, it's a posture or a heart of humility, of submission and loyalty, of honor and reverence, of weakness, of worship. It's an intensity of emotion, of focus, and intentionality. Do you have that when you pray? And if not, would you, would you ask God to, to do such a deep work, to, to draw your gaze spiritually heavenward? And that you wouldn't just go through the motions of prayer, which is what we so often do. That we wouldn't just go through the checklist of prayer, like we so often do. But Lord, when I pray, could, could I be praying from a posture of bowing my spiritual knees. Well, let's pray. Lord, I'm physically standing. But Lord, I am spiritually bowing my knees. And Lord, I I repent of all the times that, that I've just casually just gone through the motions of prayer. That I've just done it because that's what I'm supposed to do or supposed to have said or you know, that, that little phraseology we say before our meals, right before we go to bed. Lord, I, I do not want to pray like that ever again. And Lord, I, I realize that the posture physically of how we pray does not matter to you. Because biblically, we see people praying to you in a whole variety of ways. Even Jesus, <laughs> you prayed standing, you prayed looking up to heaven, you prayed kneeling. But, Lord, could our heart posture be that of humility, that of submission, that of weakness, that of worship could Could we have an intentionality in our praying? Could we just so Lord, don't let us just go through the motions of prayer in our lives but but with this forceful vigor in our spiritual life, could we have this posture where Where we come before you as as a holy God and we just say, wow, you are so good. And we have such a phenomenal privilege of of bowing our knees spiritually before you. So Lord, I I just ask that, oh, would you change the way that we pray? And maybe the words don't change, but in our minds, could the spiritual posture of how we pray radically change? And Lord, could, could you remind us even once in a while to get down on our knees physically as an outward expression of an inward reality, that we would be reminded in the pain of our knees and how difficult it is to get up afterwards, that that is a great picture of prayer, that we just, we just can't do this without you. We cannot live the Christian life without you. That we are weak without you. And Lord, I do pray that whether we are just talking to you all throughout the day or whether we're falling asleep to you and just talking to you in our minds or or whether we're in vigorous intercession, oh Lord, may it all be done out of worship and adoration, of a longing, out of a hunger, out of a humility, out of a great fervency for you. Lord, you alone are worthy. And Lord, I just thank you. Oh, I thank you that we have a God unlike all the other gods, quote-unquote, of this world. That our God is not only living, but our God, you want relationship with us. And you want to have conversation with us, intimacy. And so the fact that, Lord, we even have a privilege to pray to you is just mind-boggling to me. The fact that you, that you care to listen is just mind-boggling to me. And the fact that you're willing to speak is just, oh, it's phenomenal. So, Lord, we bow ourselves before you this day. We love you, Jesus, in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.
0: Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this.